Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we follow our curiosity, diving deep into the familiar and the foreign. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, explore intriguing ideas, and have real conversations with the best guests. Ready for something different? Let's get started. Nick Vujicic was born in Melbourne, Australia in 1982, but the celebration of his birth was quickly overshadowed by the news that he was born with Tetraamelia syndrome. Though a rare genetic disorder, Tetraamelia syndrome is characterized by the absence of both arms and legs. Nick's parents were shocked and upset, grieving the loss of the life that they had envisioned for their son. Such was his mother's upset and terror, she refused to hold him in the moments after his birth. This initial hardship faced by the infant Nick was just the first of a lifetime of challenges. The world was unfriendly to physically different people, and Nick felt it most keenly in the schoolyard. He suffered intensely as a target of ruthless bullying. This took a serious toll on his mental health. In desperation, he tried to take his own life by drowning at the tender age of 10. But Nick persevered. Despite the many challenges he faced, he found faith and support in his family, friends, and many others he met on his journey that encouraged him to conquer the obstacles life placed in his path. He realized that it wasn't he alone who faced hardship. In his words, everybody's going through something, you know. We're all going through something. Just my pain is a bit more visible than yours or somebody else. From that point on, he regarded any challenge facing him as an opportunity. With that mindset, Nick began a powerful motivational speaking career in his teen years, sharing his incredible positive perspective as a message of hope with rapt audiences of hundreds of thousands of people. He is an evangelist, shepherding his ministry, Life Without Limbs. Nick clearly embraces life wholeheartedly, leaving no stone unturned. Today, he is married and is a father to four children. He loves to swim, golf, paint, skydive, and even types 43 words a minute with his toes. The secret to Nick's positivity and resilience? humor, and faith, and I would add service of others. Perhaps the answer lies in his words, when you don't get a miracle, you can still be a miracle for someone else. Well, he's a true inspiration, isn't he? And bringing such light into the world. His book, Life Without Limits, Inspiration for a Ridiculously Good Life, is an excellent read. But if you really want to be impressed, you should watch one of his interviews or follow him on social media. You not only get a sense of what he's overcome, but you can really see the twinkle in his eyes and hear the joy in his voice. Yeah, you can. He's transformed adversity into happiness and fulfillment. Right. He's the definition of resilience. According to the late Dr. Stephen Southwick of the Department of Psychiatry at Yale University School of Medicine, and the Natural Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, most people tend to think of resilience as the ability to bend but not break, bounce back, and perhaps even grow in the face of adverse life experiences. But the American Psychological Association defines it as the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or even significant sources of stress. Making lemonade out of lemons. Seems so. Life does throw some punches, though, and many of them land, don't they, Harris? They do. Adversity is unavoidable at some time or another. Resiliency is quite a desirable trait, though. So what defines a resilient person, Walker? Mm -hmm. Well, according to Psychology Today, you must have a few characteristics. These include a positive attitude, 
optimism, the ability to regulate emotion, and the ability to see failure as a form of helpful feedback. Okay, so no bad experiences, just learning experiences. Exactly. I like to remind myself that all the time. Oh, me too. (laughs) What I thought was interesting was the clarification between a positive attitude and optimism. There is a difference. Simon Sinek, author and inspirational speaker, says that having a positive attitude is saying things are good even when they're not. While optimism, however, is the belief that the future is positive. Okay. I think a positive attitude makes people a little easier to be around, (laughs) and optimism makes life easier to bear. But is optimism just naivete, like purposefully ignoring the negative? No. Sinek says that optimism is not what he calls the denial of reality. It's more of a hopefulness for a positive future outcome. Nick is a classic optimist. Yes. And interestingly, as you said, Harris, optimism has the ability to lessen the effects of stress on us when something bad happens. So does resilience have the same effect? Yes, sort of. Being resilient allows us to bounce back from trouble, making life easier and more enjoyable. Resilience and self-esteem are also talked about a lot in conjunction with each other. According to Fearless, an Australian charity which works with individuals living with the consequences of PTSD... By building resilience and self-esteem, individuals can increase their confidence, motivation, and ability to overcome challenges. And maybe even enhance their optimism too. Right. The Mayo Clinic says that resilience is protective, shielding you from the negative emotions like depression and anxiety, and it can help balance out the effects of being bullied or other traumas. Resilience is a superpower. Exactly. And resilience benefits us in all aspects and arenas of our lives, the workplace, our personal relationships, our health, pretty much anything. Cool. It's important to stress here, though, that being resilient doesn't mean that you won't experience challenges, difficulties, or even disaster. Right. So maybe it isn't a superpower so much as a super skill. Yes, the Mayo Clinic says that resilience won't make your problems go away, but resilience can give you the ability to see past them, find enjoyment in life, and better handle stress. Life really is a series of challenges, so building our resilience seems to be a pretty smart thing to do. I would agree. I wonder if there's a link between risk-taking and resilience. Hmm. I'm thinking of Richard Branson. He said, do not be embarrassed by your failures, learn from them, and start again. That's resilience, letting your failures build you up, not bring you down. So true. Resilience is pretty key for leaders. Forbes states that resilience is important for leaders because they're often faced by obstacles that can overwhelm them. Few remain defeated for long, and so examining resilience is always a good leadership lesson. Yeah, I could see that. Because when they get knocked down, they need to be capable of getting right back up again. They're expected not to break. Anyone who bears the expectations of others needs an extra dose of resilience, I would say. Right, like celebrities. Mm. Our next guest is a very resilient woman who also knows what it's like to be in the spotlight. We are excited to introduce Shanika Malcolm, the first Afro-Indigenous winner of the television 21 Day Survival Challenge, Naked and Afraid. She is also a wellness coach and visionary. Welcome to At Home and Abroad, Shanika. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, we are so excited to talk to you today. You're a real inspiration. So it became really apparent on the show, Naked and Afraid, that you have a very deep connection to nature and the natural world. Were you surprised or fearful when the scout from Naked and Afraid first contacted you? Um, I mean, I would say I was a little bit surprised, but not fearful at all. 
Because I'm the right. type of person who, like, I like adventure. I'm willing to try almost anything at least once. When they contacted me, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, why not? <laughs> I'm ready for this challenge. And what did you think <laughs> when you discovered that you were in Chiapas, Mexico? Well, I've never been to Mexico at that, that time. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I knew it's um, a wild place, you know, in Chiapas, and the nature is bountiful. So I knew that I was up for a challenge. Mm -hmm. Were you familiar at all with that kind of environment, the jungle environment? No, not at all. I've never lived in the jungle or, you know, it was totally foreign to me. Yeah. You look like an absolute natural, I have to say. But you had to endure quite a lot during that 21 days, including navigating this whole ordeal with your partner, somebody who was previously unknown to you, what did you find about this experience that was the most challenging, either spiritually or physically? I would say I would say the most challenging thing was the environment and all the physical things that I had to endure. Mm -hmm. um, even though it was a new environment, I spent a lot of time, you know, in nature, in the forest, and even in preparation for the challenge. So I was expecting it to be challenging physically, but Chiapas was a whole nother beast. Mm -hmm. I was in the rainforest during, during rain season, basically. I've never endured like weather like that, the um, changing of the elements, uh, temperature drop, and just the level of exposure to insects and the elements was just something else. And I felt like you know, my years of meditation and spiritual practice really fortified me mentally to take on such a challenge. Because you could sort of find that resourcefulness and resilience within yourself, I would imagine. Is that right? Yes. I, I really had to, you know, to call it, I had to stay in my happy place. You know, when you're in an environment like that, it's really easy to get pessimistic and start to complain. And that's what my partner did. Right. Since day one, he was complaining and already in a negative place. And I knew that I knew he wasn't going to make it because he was already defeated. Mm -hmm. So I made sure I stayed in that mental place where, you know, I just kept up my resilience. I stayed positive. I, I never complained. I never even thought about quitting. And that's what really got me to 21 days. Yeah. And you, it was apparent right from, right from the get-go, Shanika, in watching you navigate this, this new environment. And you were observant of your partner right from the very beginning and watching how he was expending energy and, uh, and also his own personal energy. So I think you were, you were very in tune. Were you like this previous to this challenge? Have you always been this self-aware? I have for a long time. I, I, I wouldn't say always because definitely we always go through, you know, maybe a period of time when we're unaware and then we develop more awareness. So for, for myself, it's been a while since I've on, been on this journey of, you know, mindfulness and, you know, developing my conscious awareness of myself first off and then the environment and how I interact with others. And, you know, be able to observe other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have a very beautiful way of interacting with the environment. Just I remember one scene where you're collecting plant life and you are expressing your gratitude 
for each plant that you're harvesting. And you mentioned too at that time that, you know, it's a different kind of life. It may not be human life, but it's still sentient life. So you really feel that that all of the natural environment is sentient and something that we can exchange energy, positive energy with. Yes, I totally believe that all of life is alive and it might not be conscious on the level that we humans are alive, but we're interacting with the environment and exchanging energy. Everything is energy. We learn this in science on a quantum level. Yes. Something that, you know, Native Americans and indigenous tribes have always known and have embodied and lived. You know, so I've I've just always loved that philosophy and outlook on life. And knowing that everything is connected. So if I'm connected to everything, everything is re- going to respond to how I approach it and what is I'm, I'm holding in my consciousness about myself and about whatever it is that I'm interacting with. And is this something that you can access in the face of adversity? Like You did mention that this is sort of how you were able to endure that that challenge of 21 days and also the challenge of life's journey, I would imagine as well. Is this sort of a, a reserve of, of strength in the face of change and challenge for you? Well, first of all, I would say this is something I developed because of my adversity in life. You know, I've been through a lot of challenging situations and I've had to develop well, the mindfulness and the mental capacity and the resiliency to make it through life. And this challenge was kind of like a mirror and reflection of my own struggles and, you know, fight to survive in life and the, 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 the tools I had to develop to make it through it. Yeah, remarkable. So Shanika, you coach and guide others through their own transformational journeys. Can you explain for us how you help them find the courage and confidence to do so? Well, I would say I'm a mirror and I just remind them of how amazing they are. You know, going through this life, you know, where we come into this world and we're conditioned by the consciousness and the traumas of our parents. Right. We're conditioned by the greater society. And then we're conditioned by our own inner critic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us look down and get down on ourselves. So for one, the big work is getting all of that out of the way. Deprogramming, I like to call it. So I help people to, you know, look at their assumptions that they made about themselves and their reality and see that they're not true and a product of their conditioning and their experience. Once you can see that, you can start to build a better framework for your that matches your reality and the reality that you want to create. And do you find that that's one of the biggest challenges, people standing in their own way? Uh, that might be most of it. Right. So we recently found you in the wilds of Ecuador. You're there now. Can you tell us where you're seeking or learning there? Sure. Well, I am on the coast of Ecuador, and it, this feels like ancestral lands because The history of the Pacific coast of Ecuador and Colombia is really deeply connected to my Afro roots. You know, during the transatlantic slave trade, my ancestors found refuge on the coast of Ecuador. And there are a lot of Palenques. Um, There's a town called Esmeraldas Mm. where, you know, um, my ancestors came and, you know, they found freedom there and built their own town. 
So coming here, I was seeking to connect to that heritage and history and to see, you know, the Afro-Ecuadorian culture that's here and make that connection to the African or African-American culture in the whole diaspora. And I'm here studying like the plants, connecting with the local people to, you know, just just to learn more. I'm like a lover of life and learning, and it's a lifelong journey. Well, I imagine every day must be a new journey, and you must be learning incredible amounts of information every day. Yes and no. <laughs> it's a balance between learning and just being present. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm here. I wake up. Um, I meditate. I go to the gym. I'm like so grateful to be in this energy of this amazing place and to experience it. So I balance it with learning and just being present and being grateful for where I am in my life and having the opportunity to experience this and experience it alone because I'm a mother with three children Ah, and they're not with me right now. I see. So can you tell us what your vision is moving forward? Oh, yes. (laughs) My vision is heaven on earth. Well, that sounds pretty beautiful. <laughs> so let me let me let me anchor that and make it more grounded. Uh, my vision is really to build community wherever I am and have that connection with nature. So about maybe 15 years ago, I studied permaculture and I learned about the concept or the idea of eco villages and how people, humans, can live in harmony with nature and get all their needs met without you know, trashing the planet, basically, right. being able to regenerate the landscape. So my vision is to get land. Um, I'm really loving it in Ecuador and the cultural connection that's here. So I would love to get land and start an eco-village, an intentional community where people can come and live and also retreat and heal and learn and grow and transform. Well, it sounds like you're not going anywhere other than there anytime soon. Uh, I don't have any plans. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that sounds wonderful. Janika, I just want to thank you so much for chatting with us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. If you'd like to learn more about Shanika, her coaching and wellness services, you can follow her at at moonchildhealing underscore SM or on Facebook as well. Thanks so much, Shanika. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, I can tell you one thing. If I was left to survive naked in the jungle for 21 days, I can pretty much guarantee you I would be naked and afraid, not not naked, brave and resilient. (laughs) You might surprise yourself, Walker. But being resilient is not easy for everyone. We try to raise our kids to be resilient, but perhaps some are more naturally resilient than others. Or maybe we all uniquely learn resilience through our own life experiences. I think you might be right, Harris. Dr. Southwick had noted during his period as a researcher, resilience has a complex nature. It involves biological, psychological, social, and cultural factors that interact with one another to determine how one responds to stressful experiences. He also said that in reality, resilience more likely exists on a continuum that may be present to different degrees across multiple domains of life. Hmm. So an individual who adapts well to stress in a workplace or in an academic setting may fail to adapt well in their personal life or in their relationships. Okay, so you may be resilient in one aspect of your life, but maybe not another. Apparently so. 
Well, this makes total sense to me. Nothing is really black or white in life. I can see so many factors impacting resilience. For example, if I haven't slept well and anything happens before I've had my morning coffee, I am not at my most resilient self. Same. (laughs) (laughs) So what can we do to learn to be more resilient? Well, there's a lot of exciting research taking place on the topic, Harris. Scientists really want to understand how and why we are or are not resilient. It makes me think of helicopter parents. These kinds of parents Mm. certainly cannot be building resilience in their kids, can they? Well, perhaps not. But there are also genetic components that contribute to resilience. Have you ever heard of orchid and dandelion children? No. Are those brownie troops? (laughs) I was Lily of the Valley, Walker. (laughs) Uh, Always learning something new about you, Harris. But no, (laughs) nothing like that. Pediatrician Dr. W. Thomas Boyce has stated that some children are like dandelions. They tend to thrive despite stressors. Well, dandelions can pretty much thrive in the most rugged and unfavorable environments like weeds. Right. While some children are like orchids, they aren't able to thrive in the same stressors and are more sensitive to their environments. Dr. Boyce has said that genes and experience interactively affect human destiny. Nature and nurture. Mm-hmm. Well, you're onto something there, Harris. There are, in fact, three types of resilience. Natural, adaptive, and restored. Okay, so I imagine natural is the resilience that we are naturally born with. Exactly. Okay. And maybe adapted resilience might mean that you're able to adapt to your circumstances fairly easily. Right. When we're thrown into a scenario and we have to learn how to cope on the spot. Okay. So I'm fully familiar too with adaptive resilience and restored resilience. Restored resilience is learned. There are techniques that we can learn to increase our resilience. David Ogilvie of Resilience Development Company, a UK company whose mandate is to help organizations reduce stress, increase well-being, and unlock performance within their people, says that we should look at these three types of resilience as tanks or batteries. Hmm. When one might be lower, the other two batteries are closer to capacity, so we can still function. It becomes a problem, though, when all three tanks or batteries are low. This is when we become vulnerable to decreases in health, well-being, productivity, and the quality of relationships. I love that. That's Mm -hmm. such a great concept. So how do we go about learning these skills? I always thought it was either innate or we learn it via trial by fire. Well, the Mayo Clinic suggests that connection is very important. Right, because isolation is really, really difficult. This is really hard for some people who have social anxiety or have difficulties making connections. Okay, and we explored this, didn't we, Walker, Mm -hmm. in our episode, Only the Lonely, just last season? We did. So we know that establishing positive connections is critical to developing resilience because these offer us support, guidance, and acceptance in good and bad times, as so well said by the Mayo Clinic. Resilience isn't about sucking it up and toughing it out on your own. Right. Reach out to your people. Your peeps are everything. And it doesn't have to be just family or even family at all. Any social connections through your community, friends, workplace, these are all valuable. The Mayo Clinic also suggests that it's very important to take part in activities that give us a sense of accomplishment and purpose. Right. That sense that we're contributing to the greater good or even just to our own wellness. It's so important. It is. I think it's important too to remind ourselves that we've dealt with hardships before and we've survived. Yeah. And maybe even more importantly, we should think about how we got through those moments. What strategies did we use? Right. And here's an old favorite of yours, Harris. Uh oh. <laughs> 
the Mayo Clinic suggests even documenting your difficulties in a journal and uh-huh. noting how you dealt with them, the good, bad, and the ugly, so you have a reference for the future. Yeah, well, you know, journaling <laughs> is not my forte, but it is the self-help boomerang that just keeps coming back. It, it is. Yeah. Beyond that, try to remain hopeful and prioritize your self-care, like get good sleep, eat well, all that. And don't dwell on the hard stuff. I know that is easier said than done, but try to stay optimistic. Well, you can't change what's already behind you. Yeah. Mayo Clinic says, although it can take time to recover from a major setback, traumatic event, or loss, know that your situation can improve if you work at it. You have to have faith. Like our old friend, Nick. But you do have to believe that the storm will pass at some level. And remember, we all have very personal reactions to stress and trauma, and this can determine how quickly we bounce back. Leslie Ryopel points out in her article for Positive Psychology, what works well for one person may not necessarily work for another, which is one of the biggest reasons to learn multiple techniques for enhancing resilience. Yeah, that's understandable. Some things may work for some people sometimes. That's right. There's one approach to building resilience that really resonated with me, though, Harris. Okay, what? The Healing Forest recommends boosting your resilience through connecting with nature, which can recharge your inner world through the outer, like what Shanika alluded to. Right. I love this. I truly believe in the healing benefits of spending time in nature. Then you'll love their website. It really is quite lovely. They have posted a resilience walk, which is a walk that has seven ways of connecting with nature embedded within it. Hmm. So it starts out with walk, breathe in peace, breathe out peace. Find, search for colors that bring you calm. Listen, stop to hear the wind's whispers. Draw, fill a blank piece of paper with waves. Imagine, imagine you're a cloud and fly. Write, write a letter to your future self. Sleep, take a nap in nature and dream. Well, that is beautiful. And I definitely could do the last one there, sleep and have a little nap in some (laughs) forest nest. I might try a couple of these though, actually. I love the fact that we chose to talk about this topic today. What better way to transition to the new year than with inspirational stories of resilience? It actually is a premise of a lot of made-for-TV holiday movies, isn't it? Totally. Like Kevin in Home Alone, he always had a positive attitude and was very optimistic about the outcome. Or more seriously, the film Wild. In this film, Cheryl Strayed turns away from her self-destructive life in favor of taking on a 1,100-mile hike on the Pacific Coast Trail. Well, you better have good shoes to keep your resilience battery topped up for that walk. Right, or Pursuit of Happiness, which is also based on a true story. In this film, Chris Gardner struggles, but with hard work and dedication, achieves his goals and ultimately happiness. Nice. I've not seen either of these films, but I think they might be on my holiday viewing schedule now. One very beautiful film of resilience is Life is Beautiful. Have you seen it, Walker? I have. This story rests on a little love story between a gentle Jewish-Italian waiter who meets and marries a lovely school teacher. They marry and have a son, but their happiness is destroyed when the family is separated and the father and son are taken to a concentration camp. Born out of love, the dad convinces his boy that their time in the camp is merely all a game. One of the greatest tests of human spirit. This story was inspired by the terrible experiences suffered by the Italian author Rubino Romeo Salmoni and the lead actor's father in the Bergen-Belsen camp in World War II. We can certainly learn a few lessons of resilience from Holocaust survivors and survivors of Genocide Walker. Another inspiring film, too, but rooted in a Stephen King novella is The Shawshank Redemption. 
it does highlight hope during the bleakest of times. Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. How did you remember that, Walker? That was like the perfect quote. But there are a lot of testaments to human resilience out there. Of course, there's Nick Vujicic's book, but there are also so many other stories of overcoming adversity. Have you read North of Normal by Sierra Sunrise Person? Yes, loved it. It's an unbelievable story of a young girl's experience growing up with her hippie family in the 1960s in the Canadian wilderness. Essentially, she raised herself. Like the book Educated. Right. That story was incredible as well. It's definitely worth reading. But there's one book that must be read if one needs a boost of resilience. Long Walk to Freedom, the autobiography of Nelson Mandela. Yes, a very important read too. Nelson Mandela was such an inspiring individual. He believed he could make change for his people, and he did, even when imprisoned for 27 years. Well, he certainly set the bar for resilience pretty high, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Huffington Post outlined the five resilience traits we can all learn from Nelson Mandela. These are empathy, Mm -hmm. connection, self-efficacy, emotional regulation, and authenticity, but there are so many more things we can learn from that man. Beyond memoirs, though, are there guides out there for those of us who want to beef up our restored resilience, Walker? Well, here's a goodie. Resilience, the Science of Mastering Life's Greatest Challenges by Dr. Stephen Selvick and Dennis Charney. Ooh, I think heading into 2024 with that book under your belt might be a good idea. I have two favorites, too, that fit right in here that are sitting on my favorite bookshelf right now. One of them is Rising Strong by the fabulous Brene Brown. It's about regaining our footing when we're faced with adversity. Mm. But really, the must-read, Victor E. Frankel's Man's Search for Meaning. It's such a slim, unassuming little book, but it packs a punch of resilience. I know it well, Harris. It's a memoir of Frankel's time spent in Nazi concentration camps, but it's also about finding meaning in suffering and moving forward with it. It's a pretty special book and really is in a category of its own. Yeah, it is. These words of his have always stood out for me. Life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. So true. His resilience is like a river. Like the river, which winds and finds its way around obstacles, so too do we as we move through life. Oh, that's so beautifully said, Walker. Well, the healing forest says, the river is stronger than the mountain. The way of the river, ever searching, ever flowing, always finds its path around the obstacle. In the flow of the river, one can observe its true strength. Drawn by its pole to the sea, aided by gravity, every river seeks out its path and sometimes even creates it. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your host, Harrison Walker. If you enjoyed this episode, you would be a real gem if you would rate and review our show. It helps us grow and expand our reach. You can also subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. Find us on Instagram at, at Harrison Walker or visit us at www.athomeandabroadpodcast.com. We have great merch, just saying. And of course, we would love to hear from you. And for you truly dedicated fans who have listened all the way to the end of the episode, we offer exclusive interviews, outtakes, challenges, and more on our paid channel. Not even the cost of a latte once a month, depending on where you buy your coffee. 